God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be ever-pleasing in your sight. You are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. The parable of the shrewd manager, as it is called in the Bible. Shrewd. It's a word we would maybe want our boss saying about us at a performance review, but probably not our priest at our funeral. (laughs) Shrewd, the word for middle management slickers, but not for stained glass saints, right? And so we business women and men wonder if sainthood is for us. Or do we have to leave our business school ethics at the door? We can bring them in, but then we risk shame. But we feel the tension. It was once said that the only human tragedy is not to become a saint. And deep down, I think we each long for that. So my question this morning is this. Can we reconcile the rascal and the saint? Mother Teresa was just canonized on September 4th. I didn't hear the the words Pope Francis said about her, but I am betting shrewd wasn't one of them. This is an odd parable. I have been reading commentaries and slamming them shut in frustration all week. We don't know how to take this parable. Is Jesus commending dishonesty? Is he giving us an ends justify the means ethic? Is Jesus the lenient parent of a free-spirited high schooler? Run off now, young disciples, and one thing I have to tell you, this one command I leave you, don't get caught. (laughs) We aren't the only people confused by this passage. The translators of our Bible the NRSV, which we just read, they're also confused. You can look at your translation, and in it you'll notice the phrase, his master commends him. But the Greek text says, the master commends him. But the NRSV doesn't want you to entertain the thought that the master, Jesus, commends this slick fox. His master commends him. Don't go thinking Jesus is happy with this man, though. So Bible scholars are confused. Luke, the gospel writer himself, is confused. Most scholars think that the verses on money towards the end of the reading are Luke's own commentary on the passage. He didn't know what to make of this story, and so he slaps a few fortune cookie statements onto the end of it. You cannot serve God in money. Whoever is faithful in a little is faithful in a lot. A helpful statement, perhaps, but it has very little to do with the parable. The early church scratched its head with this one. How can we read this story about the crafty, self-interested rascal in light of Jesus' words in Luke 6, where it seems like he says the direct opposite? If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, 
What credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners. How do we reconcile the saint with the rascal? Mother Teresa, servant of the poor, and Jim Cheatham, the slick middle management type who promises you a deal. Let me give you two prominent interpretations of this parable. Let's call them moral and messy. Moral and messy. The moral version reads this parable, and the world for that matter, through a black and white lens. There are the righteous ones and the unrighteous ones, sinners and saints, the sheep and the goats. This is the young child asking his parent during the movie, hey, is this a good guy or a bad guy? The world is a network of moral exchanges which brick by brick continue, contribute to one's own moral edifice. You reap what you sow. You work hard and you do the right thing. And so perhaps the moral reading of this parable runs, if the shrewd guy gets the thumbs up, how much more will the good guy get it? This is the NRSV to some extent. The master is not Jesus because it's just not the Jesus we recognize to commend this rascal. Jesus says you cannot serve God and money, and we all know this lowball ditched church for the casino. The problem with this reading is that the interpreter is also making a claim about his or her own self. This is the Pharisee. Thank God I'm not a moral belly flop like everyone else. The moral reading drifts towards that nasty P word, pride. Mother Teresa has nothing in common with the rascal. The second reading is what we could call messy. Perhaps this is what many of us would represent. This is a more nuanced view that recognizes the gray in life. The cunning businessman is complicated. This view might see the rascal as having a distant relationship with his father, who was incapable of emotional intimacy, and then perhaps he got taken in with a rough peer group growing up. Though he did stumble through college, he got caught in the limbo of post-graduation young adulthood. With his back against the wall, he learned how to be shrewd. His life is understandably messy, muddled. He's not a perfect guy, but who of us is? This, is off, this view is often quite reticent to judge others. But what I've called the messy view falls short as well. Imagine the rascal himself seeing Mother Teresa. You can imagine a kind of quiet agony falling over his face. He would have liked to have lived a life like that, but it just didn't work out for him. The messy reading can often see nuance but it can sometimes struggle to see a way forward, a way to grow, a way to become Mother Teresa. The only human tragedy is not to become a saint. Messiness gives in to tragedy, and it is prone to despair. The rascal can never become a saint. The moral and the messy, one prone to pride, the other prone to despair. These aren't bad readings. But to me, they miss the music of the gospel. 
So in my opinion, this parable pleads for a different kind of reading, a reading in a different key, so to speak. Luke 15, the preceding chapter, is all about the lost and the found. It begins with the lost coin, and then you have the lost sheep. And of course, these two acts are the openers for the best show in town, in the parable of the prodigal, in the parable of the prodigal son. Maybe better translated, the parable of the prodigal father. Luke 15 is not so much about getting lost, it's about being found. More so than any chapter in the Bible, Luke 15 reminds us that Christianity, at the end of the day, is not us searching for God. It's God searching for us. Chapter divisions in the Bible are artificial. And so here's my question. Why does the story stop being about God after chapter 15? Why do we so quickly move to making it about the moral fiber of slick Jim Cheatham? But you'll be really happy to know that the Bible is not about Jim Cheatham. And Jim ought to be really happy to know this too, that there isn't a 2,000-page book written about his dubious character. Do you see what the text says? The master commends him. The master commends him. The master commends him. It's amazing. God welcomes tax collectors and sinners, but he also welcomes rascals and crooks and all those weaselly middle management types. Jim Cheatham, can you believe it? You're in. How'd you do it? We all want to know. He looks confused. Um, I lied, I swindled, and I cheated. Marvelous, we're so glad you're here. Welcome, this is the kingdom of the found. You know about the kingdom of the found, don't you? What is it that reconciles the saint with the rascal? Who's to say they belong in the same moral universe, yet alone at the same party? What a crazy, insane idea. No, that can't be right. How can Mother Teresa, Saint Teresa, share a table with that rascal? How do you become a saint? Is there a way out of the pretensions of pride and the doldrums of despair? There is only one answer I have for you. I think Mother Teresa would give you this answer, and I think Jim Cheatham would too. They would point to Jesus, the great rascal himself. Look at what he's pulled off. Can you believe what he's done for you? Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Amen.